Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at scriptures from Proper 14. Proper 14. Now last week in Proper 13, we found ourselves in Judges, Acts, and John. And guess what? We're going to find ourselves in Judges, Acts, and John. We're, there's a continuation. I think you might remember, for those of you that have been with me for several weeks or months now, as we look, as we go through the daily lect- office lectionary on a weekly basis, that when we get to the second half of the church season, which we're in now, as we get to the second half of the church season, we celebrate the Sundays after Pentecost, we'll find that entire books are covered in the scriptures. It's not nearly as eclectic as we see from Advent to Pentecost. And so we continue our work in Judges, and Acts and John. So let's jump right in. Now remember that God is raising up people that are called judges who are going to help the people of Israel who are crying out against God, or I shouldn't say uh, for God. They are actually for God. And they are against what's happening to them. That's what I want to say. And they need God's help. So if God doesn't come and rescue them, and they're sinning against God at the time, then they're going to be hopelessly lost. But you see, God cannot give them over to being destroyed because if Israel is destroyed, there's no Messiah. If there's no Messiah, there's no Savior. So he has to preserve Israel, even though Israel is sinning mightily against him. Okay, that's the backdrop to Judges. Okay, in Judges 11, we have Jephthah. Now, you see Jephthah, if you are looking at your Bible, at the end of chapter 10, and we have the story of Jephthah. Now, what you have here in your readings is there's not a whole lot of preparation for Jephthah. Uh, We don't see anything at the end of chapter 10, and we're not invited to read chapter 11, so I'm not going to spend much time on Jephthah uh, other than encourage you to read about Jephthah and... um, because I want to spend a lot of time on Samson. You know more about Samson than Jephthah, but I think you'll enjoy the reading uh, and what God does in that situation. So in Judges 13, we have the birth of Samson. Again, the Bible says, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, what did we say about Gideon? That was in the hands of the Midianites. Now we're in the hands of the Philistines. And he delivered them into their hands for 40 years. Now just imagine, 40 years you're under that kind of oppression. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah, namely Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Verse 3. Verse 4. Now see to it that you drink see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son no razor may be used on his head can't cut his hair because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines okay so remember the formula in chapter 2 of Judges that I referred to last week You are going to cry out against me because you're not doing what I say. The 
Midianites and the Philistines and the Ammonites or the Hittites, they're going to come and oppress you. You're going to need help. You're going to cry out to me. Help me, Lord, help me. I'm sure all of us have done that. He's going to send help. And so the sending of help is Samson. Now, Samson is a very strong person, as all of you know. He is a person that has been called by God and set apart to God. All right? And his desire was to follow the Lord and have the Spirit of God come on him. We see that at the end of chapter uh, 13. And move by the power of the Spirit to overcome the Philistines. That's what's supposed to happen. And we see that in chapter 13. As you go through that chapter and read, chapter 14, uh, Samson is married. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in verse 6. So he tears the lion apart in his bare hands. He was a... Um, he was a very powerful person. He was a very strong person. He was a very formidable person. They could not take him by force. He marries. He has these riddles. You've probably seen movies about Samson. He has riddles. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him at the end of chapter 14 and verse 19. These are wonderful stories about this amazing person. Now, the problem with uh, Samson is that he, he doesn't always do what God tells him to do. And he gets himself into a lot of trouble. In essence, he's a very disappointing figure in the Bible. But God uses him powerfully to subjugate the Philistines. Look at chapter 15. We see Samson's vengeance on the Philistines. Samson's vengeance on the Philistines. And then, of course, uh, beginning in chapter 16, we have the famous Samson and Delilah story. Okay? So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in chapter 15, verse 14. And very famously, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabs it and strucks down a thousand men. So he uses his prowess, his strength. The strength is from the Lord. The Spirit of God comes upon him in power. He has supernatural ability. and But he's a very weak person um, morally, as we see in chapter 16, because he goes to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Uh, that's not a man of God, is it? That's not a person that is imbued with the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and the goodness of God. Samson does some pretty terrible things. And so what you have and we'll see this again next week, you have this juxtaposition between a person that's led by the God and set up by God and called by God, but then you have this other lifestyle which does not bespeak of a godly man and a godly following of God. Now, what Delilah is trying to do in chapter 16 is find out what the secret of his power is. And you will see that you are going to verse 14. And so... Uh, we will see next week what happens when he finally reveals to her the secret of his strength, and then that's the end of him, um, as we'll see next week, but stay tuned. So in chapter 16, this woman is trying to deceive him and find out the secret of his strength so that she can have him destroyed. So in these chapters that you have listed here for you, in chapter um, 13, 14, and 15, you have the 
calling out of the uh, people uh, that are subjected to the Philistines, God raises up this amazing person from a woman who's sterile. That in itself, obviously, is a tremendous miracle. And then Moses, uh, Moses, Samson is born, and Samson uh, has an opportunity to really do some tremendous things, but he is often finds himself in a precarious situation with the way he acts. Let's continue our study of the Bible in Acts chapter 5. Now remember, we had the amazing miracle in Acts chapter 3 with the healing of the crippled person, and then there was testimony by Peter in chapters 3 and 4 about what happened. The fifth chapter is about Annas and Sapphira, as I ended last week, being killed by the Lord because of their um, lying to the Lord, lying to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, we continue on. In 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, verse 12, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Crowds gathered together in verse 16 from the towns, bringing their sick and tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So the ministry of Jesus continues. The power of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, comes down and empowers the disciples and the followers of Christ in many profound ways, and they do miracles. They're also persecuted. The high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, chapter 5, verse 17, are filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in jail. And so the second half of chapter 5 is, what are we going to do with these people? They're causing lots of problems. So instead of Judaism being liberated by the power of the gospel and the resurrection of this person that they killed and openness to the gospel to save them from their sins, they actually were highly offended by this person, Jesus, and wished to quell any opportunity that anyone had to present the gospel. And so chapter 5 is a wonderful illustration, the second half, of what are we going to do about this? God, he says, uh, Peter says in chapter 5, verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. But then, this is one of my favorite uh, pieces in Acts. When they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put him to death. They could have killed him right then and there. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered the men be put outside. So he says to the people, the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, verse 35, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 people rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and they led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, here's my advice to you. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail, as I said about the last two men. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. And his speech persuaded him, the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? What profound words from Gamaliel, beautiful words. 
Chapter 6, and they left them alone. They never stopped teaching and preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. So they kept evangelizing. So we have this profound movement of God, and we have this beginning persecution that they were experiencing. Chapter 6, the choosing of the seven. This is the choosing of the deacons. Because the apostles were so busy, they needed to raise people up. Reminds me a little bit of Jethro and Moses, uh, Moses' father-in-law in in, uh, Exodus 18. uh, Stephen is seized. Stephen is seized. And um, he gives a profound speech to the Sanhedrin. Boy, a lot of people are appearing before the Sanhedrin, right? Jesus did before he died. Peter and John did after they raised um, and healed the uh, person that was uh, crippled in chapter 3. And now Stephen is seized. Uh, he's a man, uh, verse, back to verse 8 of chapter 6, of great power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition rose. And they began to argue with Stephen. And uh, we heard that Stephen speaks words of blasphemy. Verse 11 and 12, they stirred up the people. They seized him. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, pro- they produced false witnesses. And then... They saw his face was like an angel in chapter 6, and now he's going to share um, the gospel with them. And he's going to share with them, if you look at chapters 7 in your Bible, you will see his speech to the Sanhedrin, and we will go through chapter uh, 7, verse 43 this week. And he, I'm not going to go through this with you, but what you're reading there is what God did in the Old Testament. What God did the Old Testament. We go from Abraham to Egypt, Joseph, Moses, verse 23, Moses in the burning bush in chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 30, and um, our fathers refused to obey him in verse 39. They rejected him. Their hearts turned back to Egypt. Make us gods who will go before us. Remember, Uh, Exodus 32, when we had the golden calf. We are going all the way to uh, verse 43. God turned away, gave them over to the worship of heavenly bodies, and then he quotes a scripture, etc. Okay, so what Stephen is doing is he's going to present to them in chapter 7, very long chapter, what God had done in the Old Testament. So it's a good chapter to read in the New Testament because it takes us systematically through uh, Stephen's interpretation and understanding of what God did in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful refresher, so I hope you enjoy that. We left Jesus in John. Let's go back to the book of John, Gospel of John, please. And we begin with chapter 3, which, of course, is the famous tete-a-tete between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees, He is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't want to be seen. And Jesus tells him in verse 3, very famously, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, you mean go back into his mother's womb? No. Unless a person is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot go to heaven. You must be born again, verse 7. You've probably heard those words before in your life. All right? And Nicodemus answers in verse 9, how can this be? And Jesus finds this incredulous. 
you're an Israel's teacher and you don't know. He says in verse 15, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, has eternal life. And then we have the famous 16th verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, have everlasting life. Remember we said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the Savior, and now he's calling those to be born again and they need to be born from above. What does that mean? They need to be supernaturally born. No one can save themselves in and of themselves. I cannot save myself. I need something outside of me from above. Supranatural is the Latin word. Supra, above and beyond. We need somebody beyond us to save us. And Jesus is the one that does that. God does that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 3.18, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then he shares some theology about that. John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus in 22 to 36 is beautiful because he is sharing with him the greatness of Jesus. Remember, six-month-old cousin, you would think that John would think him better. No, 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 no. A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven, verse 27. He says, and this is what I try to do in my life, very difficult, verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. So you want Jesus to increase and you and me to decrease. Jesus gets greater, we get less. Verse 36 caps it all off, chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's really as simple as that, brothers and sisters. If you know Jesus and believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus, then God's wrath remains. In chapter 4, we see the talking of Jesus to the Samaritan woman. You see that on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in your readings. And Jesus goes to the well, and there's a woman there, and they have this phenomenal conversation. She's talking on one level. Jesus is talking in a whole different level. And he's talking about very similar to what he was talking to John, uh, to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. And this time he's using different language. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This is the water that was offered to him that's at the well. But whoever, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what I'm going to give you from above, beyond yourself, see, the water that you have is what you can produce, that's produced here, that you can drink. That's not going to save you. What's going to save you is something beyond this water, that is, water that I will give is a spring of water welling up to eternal life in your soul. That will give you eternal life. And that is what you need. You don't need the water that you can drink. You need the water that's eternal. God is spirit, verse 24, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So back and forth, this Samaritan woman, who Jesus is not even supposed to talk to because they're outcasts, but he does because he loves people and wants to minister to them in the power of the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit. And he has this wonderful tete-a-tete. The disciples rejoin Jesus in chapter 4, and they ask him, they wonder if, and ask him, Rabbi, eat something. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they say, could someone have brought him food? They don't understand. 
He says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So notice that the disciples and the Samaritan woman are talking about tangible things, temporal things. Jesus is talking about eternal things. So as you're reading the book of John, you see the temporal nature of it and the simplicity of it. Water at Cana, wedding, talking to a woman at the well, okay? Encountering Nicodemus in a conversation. But then he starts using theological language that is very, very profound. So I love the simplicity of John, but also the profundity of what Jesus is trying to get across. Many Samaritans believe and then we have the healing of the official son as we close out this wonderful uh, chapter about um, the Samaritan and the woman. And God does a miracle and heals the, his son. Uh, let's see. It says, unless you, uh, it says, uh, come down before my child dies in verse 49. You may go, your son will live. He doesn't go see the son. He doesn't encounter the son. He just says, you go, your son's going to live. So the man took Jesus at his word, verse 50. He went, he departed. He was still on the way. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired at the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. The father realized that was the exact time, and Jesus said, your son will live. And so he and his household believed. Can you imagine the person coming up to you saying, my son is dying, and you say your son will live, and at that minute, the son is alive and is fully restored. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. The final episode in our teaching this week is the healing at the pool. Now, this is a very strange healing because this man is not able to do anything. He's been an invalid for 38 years, verse 5. He sees Jesus lying there and learns that he's been in this condition. Jesus sees him and learns that he's been in this condition a long time. And he says, do you want to get well? A fair question. You would think, yeah, of course I want to get well. I've been an invalid for 38 years. He doesn't. He says, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He has compassion on him. The man was cured at once. The Jews said, it's the Sabbath. You can't do that. You can't heal this person. Now, you would think that people would be excited about someone getting healed. They weren't excited about it at all. You broke the law. You broke the law. And so Jesus confronts this person at the end of chapter uh, 5, 13, and 14. Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well because the man had encountered the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, and were, they were asking about what happened. And the man didn't really fully understand or believe what had happened. Jesus confronts him and says something quite harsh and unusual for Jesus. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. As you go through the lectionary readings each week, I know there's a lot to think about and process. And I hope that you'll take some time to do that through the Bible that you're reading, through a study Bible, or maybe even a commentary or a series of, of homilies or ser uh, sermons about the event. But in Judges, to recap, we have, of course, the great Samson and his very flawed character. We have the book of Acts 
and the continuation of the Peter and John's ministry from chapter 3. Then we have, of course, Stephen in chapter 7, a beautiful recounting of the Old Testament and how God had saved the people of Israel. And then, of course, we are journeying with Jesus in John chapter 3. We have the Nicodemus and the born again. We have the encounter with the Samaritan woman, the healing of the official son, long distance miracle, and this very strange miracle at the healing of the pool. Enjoy the scriptures, enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week, Proper 15. God bless you.